Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Happy Monday, and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-host <laughs> for all things fermentable. Um, Foment About It, broadcasting live every Monday on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're archived there as well as on iTunes. Every Monday, 7 p.m. Today, we have two very, very, very cool friends with the same names-ish sort of thing. <laughs> but before we get to that, Mary, is there any uh, announcements you'd like to make? Yes. The moment? Um, next Wednesday, May 8th, I am teaching a beginner homebrewing class at Brooklyn Kitchen. It starts at 6 p.m., and I believe tickets are still available. So if you go to Brooklyn Kitchen's website, you can find out more. How long are those classes? Uh, we start at 6, and we go till about 8.30. We cover the entire brewing process from the beginning to the end. Do you actually All the ingredients, yeah. Do you we get, get to, drink to taste. We get to, they taste the uh, previous class's beer, they get to bottle their beer for the next class, and they get to take home some bottles of the previous class beer as well. So it's pretty cool. You get to see the whole process. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about TAP really quick. TAP New York. TAP New York uh, the, is a beer festival in upstate New York that features all New York State beers. Uh, Mary and I both are fresh back from that. We went up on behalf of 508 Gastro Brewery. And, uh, and served our beers to, uh, to a wonderful response. And it was just awesome to see just the collective of New York State brewers mm-hmm. all pouring awesome, awesome stuff and just uh, just to, to be with like, everybody. The, the brewers are all there behind their beers, too. I mean, everybody shows up, and it's one of those festivals that is special in the fact that you get to talk to the people who actually made the beer. Yep, and the, it's amazing how many breweries have opened in New York State in the last year or two. So we met, actually there's a brand new maltster that we met, a New York State maltster that is starting to malt now, and it sounds really exciting. Um, we met several people who own uh, farm breweries, so they have a brewery under the farm license. They're using a lot of New York State ingredients, not only malt, but also hops and and other local ingredients. So we're hoping to have some of them on our show in the future. We just tasted a lot of really creative beers that were brewed in new york state so it's very exciting really really exciting you know what else is exciting <laughs> cooking with fermented foods and cooking fermented foods today our guest is thomas harder from blind tiger alehouse what's up tommy how you doing i love your work well thank you and we're I very, love your work too. <laughs> <laughs> we're really excited to have you here and, and to talk about this well, you you do a lot of stuff but well you do a lot of pairing over at blind first of all tell us a little bit about the blind tiger and, and your concept behind this okay, where you got well, there uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that. Who is this guy? <laughs> Blind Tiger, well, first of all, I mean, it's one of the you know premier craft beer bars in New York City. I've uh, been around for over 15 years now um, and really is known for being kind of one of the leaders in craft beer. Absolutely. I got my beer education at the Blind Tiger, heads down. And definitely, I mean, like it's something that you can go there and experience totally different, uh, a beer list almost every day. You know, that's always changing, always bringing on, um, you know, different beers from all over the country and world, all that kind of stuff, and always on tap of, like, really great craft beer. 
um, I came in to the, the scene, I guess, a couple years ago and uh, to elevate the food. And one of the things that the concept became behind it was adding fermentation in almost every one of the dishes on the menu because beer being a fermented element and just kind of going together really well. It ended up happening to be that we have a fermented item almost every one of the dishes. That's awesome. And, uh, I mean, which, I mean, is kind of easy and difficult at the same time because, I mean, there's a lot of things that you don't think about it, like vinegar, mayonnaise. Like, these all have already fermented items in it. So, it's like, that concept is really easy. It's really easy to lead to putting cheese on everything because cheese is a fermented <laughs> item, too. But right. there's also a lot of stuff, like, you wouldn't notice that or you know, black bean garlic sauce, the Chinese black bean fermented bean garlic sauce, or uh, miso paste, or using creme fraiche instead of just regular cream to bring that fermented element on the menu. So it's actually a lot of fun and a little challenging, but at the same time, it actually creates that situation where things pop differently on the menu. And I get to have a lot of fun with cooking with fermented items. <laughs> what are some some good examples outside of that? So you you do beer pancakes? Oh sh- yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. I was, it's fine. I was it. I was it. It's Sorry, right FCC. Hey. Uh, <laughs> the beer pancake. Yeah, actually. So every Sunday uh, we do brunch, and the main uh, special is a beer pancake, which I take. Um, it's a half a half a western style beer. Um, add a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of honey, a little bit of flour, and uh, make a pancake out of it. It gets topped with honey, citrus butter, and bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup. That's mm. exclusively only found at Blind Tiger <laughs> since it's one of uh, the owner's neighbors up in Vermont actually bar- uh, barrel-ages the maple syrup for us. That's pretty awesome. But the uh, beer itself actually um, has a chemical uh, reaction component to it. We add, uh, which is, uh, was it... Um, baking soda and the beer actually react to each other to actually make the uh, leavening action happen. So making the pancake all nice and fluffy is happened to do with the acidity of the beer being in the pancake. And so something more or less like I came through the idea of like, oh, we should do something for brunch and I was ended up drinking the beer. I'm like, oh, I was drinking this beer thinking about doing some kind of batter with it, but pancake, excellent. And then it just came together and now it's actually something that people really enjoy a lot of. <laughs> and they come every Sunday for just for the pancake. Yeah. You know? So um, I guess it was a, a discovery that worked out really well. <laughs> a common, you know, there are a lot of people that put out recipes that are like, okay, now add two cups of beer or add a cup of beer to this and that, but they never specify, or they, you know, they're starting to, to specify a little bit more, but there are a lot of recipes you find out there that just say beer. Yeah. Or know, amber beer. Or amber. Yeah, yeah. How do you choose what to do? I mean, why have a bison for the pancakes? It makes sense to me, but, you know, for... Really, actually, um, because, you know, the... The uh, beer list, the draft list changes so much at Blind Tiger. I have to right. find some that's always going to be consistent. So, I mean, uh, certain beers are like, we'll have it for a day and it's gone. So I can't base a recipe off of it. So I have to kind of almost uh, adjust for that. And so we always, we actually literally have more of uh, certain wines or, uh, you know, they're dedicated towards stouts, uh, wit ale, or Hefeweizen. So then I base it off of that. Um, I use like a stout beer for uh, cooking when I was making like during the wintertime a lamb shepherd's pie because it went out really well with the, the gaminess of the meat and all that kind of stuff. So, but was it always the same stout beer? No, it actually changed almost every week. It was a different right. stout, but it's always a stout beer. Um, other things I do is actually uh, take and all combine and make a, like a, a light beer stock 
which is like a, will be a combination of Pilsner, um, a Wit, and a Hefeweizen. So that way, like the, all the flavors will actually kind of meld together instead of being too hoppy or too light mm-hmm. or too uh, Belgian yeasty or something like that. It actually kind of rounds itself out because those beers will always kind of change. So it's more or less I do a combination of stuff sometimes, or an amber is very easy to do because it's kind of in the medium body in the range. It's not too light. It's not too hard, uh, too dark. It's not too hoppy. It's not too light, all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to kind of go like, oh, I'll just use the amber. But it depends also what it's going with because the flavors can either overmask or they can... Uh, like something like saying using IPA can be too hoppy and that, that that adds a bitterness to the dish that will make the, even the dish itself too bitter. So I have to kind of balance that out. So it really kind of depends on what you're going to cook with right. and what kind of flavors you actually also like to have in the first place too. I mean, if you want to do something that's a little bit light and um, refreshing, then I would say use like something like a Hefeweizen or a wit that's going to have a little more of a lemon uh, you know, citrusy twist to it, kind of thing, and then it'll make some pop like shrimp or you know fish or something like that really well. And you can like accentuate that a little bit with a little, little lemon zest or lime zest. But so take really the qualities cool. of the beer that you enjoy and that are outstanding and oh yeah, definitely and emphasize those. Uh, I've done uh, a number of beer pairings before, and all I always actually did is do it the other way around. Instead of making a dish and then trying to find a beer to pair with it, I've actually taken the beer. And then try to dissect the flavors of the beer or whatever they accentuate and then make a dish go towards that. And that is actually a, a different, uh, I think, a different uh, mindset than most uh, chefs want to think about. They're always thinking about making a dish and like, trying to make it like, oh, this will be very similar. But I, I'd rather take the other way around and say, like, well, the beer is actually the focus and make a dish goes with the beer. <laughs> right. And it actually turns out that uh, anytime I do that, like, either I'm going for a complement or a contrast of flavors. And that really sings. That really develops something really nice. And that pairing really works out that way instead of like trying to do it the other way around. And no one really thinks about it in that way. I, mean, well, I wouldn't say nobody, but I mean, like, uh, most people don't think of that way. It's like, oh, the beverage is the focus instead of the, the dish itself. And it, it works out. It really does work out very well doing it that way instead. Now, going back to what you said, because I think that's one of the issues. Like, you can't just... So, so I've done some baking with beer. Yeah. I like to bake. I'm not an expert by any means, but you can't yeah, just, <laughs> you can't substitute beer for water no. because like you said, there is that reaction because I've successfully, you know, stout cupcakes are, I think are a very common recipe, excellent, easy yeah. to make. Um, but then I, I remember one time I had tried, I was doing brownies and I decided to use a beer and it completely did not work out. And I think it was because of that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So they over, there was like too much, um, I guess air release, so yeah, they flattened out. The, the yeah, carbon dioxide created too much with the, the reaction of the baking soda. Probably um, that. See, now baking is such a science that it's really hard <laughs> because I mean you're taking something too. It's like a, you know when you say it's a well, it's ninety nine percent water, but there's acidity, there's salt, there's a lot of stuff that's in beer that's mm-hmm. actually gonna make a reaction to it. So you can make add too much salt maybe or something like that. So it's kind of hard to like substitute just strictly over for you know water for beer. Um, other elements like one, you know, I'm more of a savory cook, so like say braising or something like that, it's really easy to actually substitute beer for because you're going to be cooking with it and then you're going to take that element and it's not going to have like this chemical reaction. So baking's right. a little bit different, but uh, cooking with beer in any other, other sense really, it just depends as long as like the IBUs, uh, the, the bitterness is kind of like the main thing you kind of have to worry about. Anything else other than that, though, you have like you're taking flavored water and you're adding it to a dish. So you're adding flavoring to it. 
No. Right. Yeah, baking. I, I'm definitely not a baker <laughs> <laughs> because I got like to do like the pinch and the, the a little bit of this and like oh this is just a, a you know a, a scant. I don't even know what a scant is, but uh, <laughs> you see recipes for a scant of this. <laughs> that, that's just what I've kind of. Uh, that's how I cook. You know, I cook by taste and I cook by looks, but I don't really follow recipe too well. Right. <laughs> I don't want people to tell me how to do it. <laughs> but you said what uh, that. IBUs or international bittering units are yeah. something to be really concerned with when you're cooking with beer, and why, and where, oh, and when. Uh, it, well, it's especially because um, it's, it's it's bittering, so it's going to add a bitterness to it. So if like you're trying to take a a, a beer and you reduce it down, that bitterness still stays kind of there, and it gets stronger as mm-hmm. you reduce it down. So it's very easy. Like I, I mean, I love IPAs. It's probably one of my more favorite style of beer. But to cook with it, it's really difficult, or to pair with it is really difficult because they have that bitterness unit or that bitterness component. So the balance then shifts. Now you take something that's a little bit lighter, doesn't have a whole much of a bitterness like a Hefeweizen, and then you have kind of eliminate that, that element of bitterness because when anytime you make it a dish, you only kind of have a balance between salt, uh, sweet, sour, bitter, even heat. And so that's already adding one of the elements that you're trying to balance. And so then you have to kind of almost overcompensate. Even when you're making a beer, you have to, like, add malts to balance hops. And you do an imperial IPA versus an IPA, there's a little bit more maltiness uh, just because also to balance out the alcohol level. Alcohol you don't have to really worry about when you're cooking with it because that actually cooks off. It evaporates. And so that eliminates it. So I can cook with beer and not get drunk from it kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah. I wish. But <laughs> uh, you talked about, uh, just before we actually went on air, you talked about a dish that you made with uh, kimchi, yeah. a, a kimchi slider. Yeah. And so about cooking with other fermented foods, what are some some, some th- approaches you take? That? Uh, really actually is you know looking for a balance, definitely. Um, because a lot of times uh, fermented foods have a little bit more of a sourness or a saltiness because making like a pickle, you're actually putting vegetables in a salt water, which will allow uh, you know basically the good bacteria to grow and eliminate uh, bacteria that's going to cause spoilage. And that will cause it to sour a little bit. But then there's also that element that's already kind of seasoned and have a little bit of saltiness to it. Sometimes. So it depends on what we're talking about. Because there's a lot of fermented uh, products out there that we use every day to just don't think about it, like vinegar or whatever. But uh, using something like kimchi actually is, I mean, it's got not even like nutritional and health benefits from using something or eating something like that on a daily basis. It adds crunch, heat different factors that really adds to the balance of a dish. I mean, something we were talking about was like a a pulled pork slider. Now, it's barbecued uh, pulled pork, so it's uh, barbecue sauce with sweet and sour already into the dish. Then you add kimchi with a little bit of crunch. It has a little bit of heat, Mm -hmm. and that sourness and all that kind of stuff all balances it out. And it becomes something that's really has this this great pop to it because of the fermented element of kimchi versus using something like coleslaw or just the regular cabbage. And so just with that, it adds so much of more of a, uh, a, a wow factor by doing it. Also being more nutritious, uh, all that kind of stuff that's already added to it, and you don't think about it. You just think, mmm. And on that note, we're going to take a break, but we're going to talk more about cooking with kimchi because one, one of my favorite things you've ever made was made with kimchi. Oh. We also have our guest, Tom Astelli, who's going to talk about his new book, The Audacity of Hops. Yep. We'll see you in a minute. Just a moment.
Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. Welcome back to Foment About It. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening. So we're talking to Tommy Harder about cooking with beer and other fermented foods. And specifically, we, we just were talking about kimchi. And one of my the favorite things that you've ever made was at um, was the kimchi gnocchi. Oh yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about what what inspired you to make that kimchi gnocchi. You know what? Actually, it was just a, a idea that I had, and you know, I was kind of looking like, how can I, you know, do something with kimchi to do that dish for? Um, it was for oh, what was the Brewer's Choice? Brewer's right? Choice. Yeah, That's right. City Correct. Winery. Um, and. You know, kimchi is something that uh, I use a lot because actually the owners of, uh, of live up in Vermont for Blind Tiger, Dave and Iris Broderick, they actually make the kimchi that I use at Blind Tiger. So I always have like gallons and gallons of kimchi all over the place. And so it's like, uh, how can I use this and utilize this in a different way? And so make it into a pasta. Um, I was like, I just kind of played around with the idea and then actually did it for that event. And it was just that one time thing. And I've actually had people come by, <laughs> uh, weeks afterwards looking for it. And like, I had bartenders st- stick their head and like, we have another person looking for a kimchi gnocchi. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like if I could do it on a regular basis, I would, but <laughs> that takes, you know, equipment and space and time, all that kind of stuff, which I don't have the luxury of having to work in at a bar in New York city. But, uh, no, yeah, actually, that was something that I, I tried, and it came out really well, and had that, it had a little funk to it, a little spice, and it was everything about that was really great. I mean, the pork belly was probably one of the best things in the world, but <laughs> everybody looked right past it and went for the, the pasta. <laughs> yeah. But, the, oh man, that was good. So tell us about some of the other inspirational kind of fermented dishes that stand out that you've done over the time, over time at the Tiger. Ooh, um, well... Definitely like stuff like uh, you know potato beer cheese soup using beer uh, in 
in the cooking process really does that stand out, especially at Blind Tiger because people are going there for the beer anyway. But uh, I mean, other stuff that's really the, like you know people don't think about it, but like you know, using like Tabasco or yogurt or any of that kind of stuff in the base of sauces um, are chicken wings. There is Pilsner brine, so I'm cooking or using beer in the process, but it's paired with a blue cheese sauce. And the blue cheese sauce actually is buttermilk, which is fermented, blue cheese, yogurt, sour cream, all in the base of it. And so, I mean, literally there's like out of like probably the five ingredients that are in that sauce, four of them are fermented <laughs> items. And, and people love that blue cheese sauce. They ask for sides of it just to dip their fingers into a little of like <laughs> carrots and celery. And I mean, I like it too, but it's just like that was just more or less trying to use stuff that's, you know, it's going to be, you know, easier to preserve so it lasts longer. It's got that different elements of, like, sour and saltiness, all that kind of stuff that really balances out. But also it's something that is healthier for you to eat. You know, it's going to add those good bacteria into your, in, you know, your digestive system that, you know, we live in a society now that has, like, gotten into almost like a, a germaphobic uh, way of life and don't realize that we're doing things like, you know, uh, not eating sourdough bread or not eating yogurt. We're eating other stuff that, like, kind of uh, creating these epidemics of, like, gluten allergies and lactose intolerance and all that kind of stuff because we don't have the balance of good bacteria in our systems anymore. So now I'm trying to use that, like, in a way to, like, making bar food kind of sexy and healthy in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I always kind of go for. But I didn't really think about, like, a lot of stuff we're using. Like, um, something I've been using recently... Um, I have a, uh, a side dish that's uh, braised greens. So I've taken mustard greens, kale, and spinach, all very healthy greens. Instead of, uh, it's kind of like a cream spinach dish, a little side dish, but instead of using cream, uh, it's creme fraiche, which uh, we make at house, and uh, mix it with miso paste. So miso also being a fermented Fermented. item, Mm -hmm. um, that actually has a different, like, kind of like a nuttiness, a creaminess, and a little bit of a pop that most people don't realize it. So you're just thinking you're getting kind of like a cream spinach, and then you're like, oh, there's something different there. And that little difference is actually where I think, you know, we stand out a little bit more than from somewhere else that just you would do just a cream spinach at, like, a, you know, a steakhouse or something like that. And so, yeah, it actually creates uh, you know that challenge but also at the same time it's that solution it like makes the food just slightly different you're like oh that's really good I enjoyed that and I don't know why but oh that's probably because it's that fermented item in the ele- or that element that's in that dish that creates that balance um, yeah I don't know I'm trying to think of what else I've recently done that really makes something like oh it sticks out oh uh actually you know like one of my most recent dishes that people are going to go crazy about is a pork belly dish that uh i marinate the pork belly in a combination of sweet soy dark soy and fruit juices and then and then braise it and then that is paired with a pea and parmesan puree so now we have we're adding cheese to the pea puree and that is like the best baby food you will ever have your life. <laughs> like, Gerber has nothing on me with that one. <laughs> and then um, I uh, make a, a carrot emulsion, so it's almost like a carrot vinaigrette. So then again, there's another like, uh, fermented element in there with the vinegar that just pops. I mean, it just makes everything sing. And so the whole dish has like four or five different fermented elements to it that you put it all together, and it's just it's beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. It's beautiful. It's sexy. It's, it's everything you want pork belly to be. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like it. 
But we absolutely, absolutely love your work over there, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you. For years. And uh, t- today we also have our friend, I've been saying it wrong, for years I've been saying it wrong, Tom right. Achitelli. 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 Thank you, man. <laughs> Welcome. Thank He's you. fresh off the plane. He actually in, is his bookmark. He has a New York taxi bookmark. <laughs> and he's going to be at Blind Tiger on, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Exactly. Yeah. There uh, go. It's a real Segway. pleasure to be here. Yeah, it really is a real pleasure to be here. The Blind Tiger is one of the best beer bars, in my opinion, in the Western world. So, really. I, I've yeah. actually heard people talk about it in Belgium. Oh, nice. 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 Yeah. Were they talking about the food? Yeah. Do they know who I am? <laughs> 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 the bar, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So, Tom, tell us about the book uh, that you wrote. The new book, it's out this week. Uh, it's called The Audacity of Hops. It's the first history of the American craft beer movement. It starts in August 1965 and basically goes all the way through 2012. So it covers... You know, the growth of the industry, basically every favorite brand of yours out there, and also the movement's intersection with things like slow food, locavorism, uh, even manufacturing in cities, uh, you know, fine food, its competition with wine, uh, sort of ups and downs in the 90s and in the, uh, the early part of this uh, century as well. You came to the New York City Home Brewers Guild and did a reading uh, recently. There's a story of the Guild in there and Garrett Oliver popping through and Steve Hindy. Uh That's fun stuff. Well, a lot of the the most successful commercial brewers right now got their start as home brewers. It's very interesting. I mean, it goes all the way back to the first startup craft brewery since Prohibition in the United States uh, was a brewery called New Albion, uh, which opened in late 1976 in Sonoma County, California. It was started by a home brewer named Jack McCulloch, who actually took up home brewing in, well, in the Navy in near Danoon, Scotland. He basically realized that when he got back to the United States, where something like 80% of all domestic beer sold was made by four or five companies, if he was going to get the flavorful stuff he was used to in the British Isles, he would have to make it himself. And so that's where that started, and New Albion sort of set off a trend. Before New Albion, there was only one craft brewery for many years. It was Fritz Maytag's uh, Anchor Brewery in uh, San Francisco, which is still there. Uh, New Albion went out of business, unfortunately, in 1983. But Sam Adams has actually resurrected the New Albion brand. I haven't had it yet, but I've been reading about it. It's actually pretty... uh, It's interesting because in the United States, and this has been imitated now all over the world... uh, we, we make, you know, heavier, hoppier beers, right? Right. But this sort of Ur craft beer, the New Albion Pale Ale, is probably a lot thinner than most people, especially most people under 60, say, would be used to in a craft beer. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of a revelation to understand that it started here and then ended up with, you know, um, Dogfish Head 128-minute uh, right. IPA, something <laughs> like that. So. Although I love Dogfish Head. I'm not not. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Anybody yeah. Like, okay. No, the full yeah. spectrum. The full yeah. spectrum. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, hops definitely are, are appreciated now. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, over the weekend, actually at Tap New York, they they give out awards, and um, the the double IPA, the higher standard by Peekskill, won best beer in New York, which is and it's delicious. It's a good beer. Yeah. We're, we're drinking its little brother, Eastern Standard, right now. Thank fantastic. you, Jeff. Yes, and congratulations ben for brewing this. <laughs> and like you said, though, like these lighter beers too. Like there is a place for them too. I oh, like yeah. to have yeah. a light beer on a nice sunny yeah. day, sitting on a patio somewhere. Like right. I don't want to drink something heavy and dark and you know, just overtake everything in my mouth. I would. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, enjoy the sun. Enjoy something that complements right. it. And they can be a little bit easier to cook with because you don't have the uh, the uh, the riskiness of the high IBUs. Yeah, true. 
Well, there is a huge debate, I mean, ongoing about whether there is a, even such a thing as extreme beer in the States or if that's just, um, you know, something like it, defining it is almost impossible. You just sort of know it when you taste it, the extreme, right. the hoppier beers. So, And the double IPA style itself and the triple IPA and the imperial IPA, as it's sometimes called, was almost a, an accidental thing uh, started by a Russian river, uh, Vinny Salerzo, in, uh, in California, in the Bay Area. He was just basically trying to make a really hoppy beer because he had really rudimentary equipment mm -hmm. and thought, you know, if I screw this up, I need something to cover. And yeah. so he really hopped it up, but people loved it. He did a great job. And that's sort of Which where the is, genesis... Is this blind pig? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, he would have... Exactly, pig. exactly. Yep. And then he went to start uh, Russian River a few years after that. But that's sort of the early 90s. That's sort of where the double IPA starts. And then it became triple IPA and sometimes called imperial IPA. And it's interesting because the Great American Beer Festival, the early festival categories for metals in 1987-88, when they, when they switched from consumer preference poll to metals, did not have one for IPA or double IPA. Oh, even though oh, that's the definitional style for the United right. States, right? <laughs> it's really interesting. It's like the, you know, the, these home brewers and, and startup craft brewers were leading the way, and the industry followed. You know? It was yep. interesting. Mm -hmm. So. And there are a lot wow. of these stories in, in the book. Totally. It's narrative. It all, it starts in 65, goes all the way through. We actually yeah. have a copy. We bought a copy last week. We have to Early we release. We read it. Right. No, we have not. <laughs> We've been, well, between Tab New York and everything else. But it's called The Audacity of Hops. Um, I'm, are you doing a Kindle Wednesday? version as well? Yes. Kindle will be out May 1st. Okay. Awesome. Oh. As well as the, the, as the uh, actual paperback physical book. book. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it probably can be pre-ordered on Amazon yes. or hit your local bookstore mm -hmm. for it. Definitely. And you're doing a book tour, so you're, you're in I'm, cities around? Wednesday night, I'm at a, a Blind Tiger, and then uh, night after that, Thursday, I'm at Brooklyn Brewery, and then the week after that, I'm in San Francisco at Anchor, and then Lagunitas and Petaluma. Fantastic. Nice. So if you're in the area, Thank come, you by, very much. come meet Tom Achatelli. Yes. Don't get it wrong. He gets mad. And thank you for listening to Full Man About It on Heritage Radio Network. Who's next week? <clears throat> That's up for debate right now. Oh, yeah. Now, we'll Kuzan. let you know next week. Yep. <laughs> we've got a lot. We've met a lot of people between uh, Ferment Ferment and, um, and the beer scene. So we have a lot of good guests lined up. So anyway, please listen to us next Monday at 7 p.m. for a surprise. I know who we have. We have no, we have guests. a crazy guest coming from Florida. This, uh, this yes. guy I met at 508. He's a really awesome homebrewer, really, really creative, and has crazy ideas. And I don't think you met him. I just told him that you had to meet him. So anyway, he's our guest. Thanks for listening. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>